And welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, I have to ask you, it's another glorious Friday. We have a mock draft going on today, so I have to ask you, how's everything going, man? Jordan, there's something different in the air today. It's because the script is flipped, my friend. I'm <laughs> orchestrating this show. This is the Locked On College Football Podcast, hosted by Jonah Tolls co-hosted by jordan reed it is the the script is flipped <laughs> and you know what we're running through my mock draft today my mock draft 4.0 and i have not showed jordan these picks for a reason i want to get an organic response to each of my picks and i want to get his analysis on it so we're just going to run through this whole thing i mean you you, you got ready to go here jordan because yeah, i mean let's do I, it, I want to have you on the hot seat i'm excited i like being in the gm's chair let's do it baby all right Pick number one, the Cincinnati Bengals draft Joe Burrow. And, you know, this is about as done deal as it gets. I mean, he talked about write it in Sharpie, put it in cement, do whatever you want that makes it permanent because this is happening. Joe Burrow is going to be searching for houses in Cincinnati over the next, you know, three or four months. So, Jordan, just your overall thoughts, Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, how big would this be for that franchise? Oh, this is a no-brainer, man. I think it's the worst-kept secret in the draft right now. Everybody knows that Joe Burrow is projected to be the number one overall pick. It's just a matter of the Bengals actually going through with it. And we know the Bengals haven't been the luckiest franchise in the world, but them landing the number one overall pick, I think it's going to be a breath of fresh air with them moving on from Andy Dalton. And then with Joe Burrow coming in, they really have a nice young core now, starting off with Burrow. And then you have promising young pieces in Joe Mixon and also Tyler Boyd as well. And then you're talking about Jonah Williams coming back this year off of injury. So they're really starting to put, a get, put together a really nice offensive core. Let me ask you this, because obviously, you know, we think Joe Burrow, Cincinnati Bengals, 100%. It's going to happen. But let me, throw you, let me throw a scenario to you out here. Justin Herbert's going to the Senior Bowl. The Cincinnati Bengals are coaching the Senior Bowl. If Justin Herbert goes to the Cincinnati Bengals coaching staff in Mobile and they strike a good rapport, is there any chance, any chance Justin Herbert catches ground on Joe Burrow in this number one race? Yeah, and I think that's the benefit of actually coaching the Senior Bowl. And I'm sure they've been doing their homework on Joe Burrow just because they have scouts in the building that have been in and out of the facilities probably for the past few months uh, since August. So they have, they have plenty of information and what they need on Burrow. But just getting that hands-on experience with Herbert is going to give them a better idea of exactly what makes him tick, uh, how he does in practice, how quickly he picks up on terminology. But I'll be very surprised if that happened. But let's just say they're going to have more pieces to the puzzle in order to, if somebody's fighting for Herbert in the draft room, to take him number one overall. And I'm sure we're going to hear some rumblings about that. It reminds me a little bit of what we saw from the Cleveland Browns early on before they took Baker Mayfield. Uh, that wasn't as set in stone as Joe Burrow, but you, you know there was a period where we heard rumors about Josh Allen and Sam Darnold potentially going number one overall as well. So we could see a similar situation, but I don't think I don't think Herbert is going to gain enough ground in order to be the number one overall pick and overcome what Burrow has done this year. Right, and so you know we pretty much have a consensus there. Now we go to the Redskins pick at number two, where we also have pretty much a done deal here. Chase Young, Ohio State. I think he's one of the best defensive prospects in the last decade. I mean, you talk about the double-digit sack rookies. There's only like six of them. And you know, I think Chase Young could be that guy next year as well. So this is a guy that I think generational kind of pass rusher. 
in any other draft, you'd be the number one overall pick. But, you know, with Joe Burrow and the Bengals needing a quarterback, he's not going to go number one. But the Redskins, man, what a talented young core that would be if Chase Young is added to the mix. Just don't overthink it. That's the big thing with the Redskins. And I know there's already some rumors out there uh, from the fan base wanting to potentially trade back and auction off the pick for teams trading up for a quarterback. And I say just sit tight. And even though I know some offers may be intriguing, I just don't think any would be worthy of trading back from Chase Young. Now, that's not to say if you get an offer for two to three or even four first-round picks, that's not to say don't entertain it. But if you don't get any crazy trade packages like that, just take Chase Young and you talk about adding him to the young core of Matt Ioannidis, Deron Payne, John Allen, and some of the other players that they do have along that defensive line. You talk about a really dominant young defensive front. Yeah, and I put in my mock draft, unless the Redskins get, Redskins get a King's Ransom. And if, if they trade for pennies on the dollar, let's say they trade back two or three spots for like a second-round pick, that's foolish. Yeah. It's, you're playing too cute. But if the Dolphins offer you, you know, two first-round – the other two first-round picks in this draft, <laughs> I might yeah, take things that get deal. interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting to see that, but – Unless a King's Ransom is offered to the Redskins, I cannot see them passing up on Chase Young. He would be such a good building block for that young defensive line. What is the identity the Redskins want to create for their team? And it seems to me that that front seven is what they want to do. The pass rush, you know, good run defense with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis in there. Then you got a guy like Montez Sweat. Add in a player like Chase Young. Man, that's the identity of your team. And it's just that building block would be so valuable. So, Unless they get a King's Ransom, we'll be shocked if he's not the pick. Now, let's, let's, go, to number, let's go to number three overall. Uh, you have something else to add on Chase Young, or are you good on that? No, I'm good on that. We don't have to spend a whole bunch of time on that because we – Yeah. All much, right. It's pretty much a done deal, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, number three overall, this is where the, I think where the draft starts. And I went with Jeffrey Okuda to the Detroit Lions. And uh, this is the worst passing defense in the NFL. I mean, the Detroit Lions, 32nd. They have almost more than 300 yards per game. This is a team that solely needs players in the back end. What are your thoughts on this one? So this is a team where I really don't know where to start, but I think they just need to collect talent. And I think that's what Akuda does bring to the table. And I really like the pairing of him and Darius Slay. Now, we don't really know the future outlook of Slay going forward just because we know he's a very emotional guy. And there were some rumblings last year that he maybe wanted out just because he wasn't comfortable in the situation with the Lions anymore. But they were decimated with injuries this year. A 3-12-1 record was one of the worst in franchise history since they went 0-16 many years back. So the franchise just needs to start to collect talent. Now, you're exactly right as far as where the draft starts. I think this is the pick where it does start, just because we know Joe Burrow and Chase Young are most likely going to go 1-2. and two even though there is a few months left leading up to the draft and things could change, things could change, but the Detroit Lions have a prime opportunity. And I keep saying this to auction off this pick in order to garner some more uh, draft selections. And that's not to say that a team is going to trade up for Tua Tagovailoa or any other quarterback in this draft, but whoever a team is targeting, I think the Detroit Lions should auction off this pick no matter what. And I've gotten a lot of questions already that maybe they should just take a quarterback and stash him for the future. I just don't see that happening just because Martha Stewart, the Detroit Lions owner, has already come out and gave the the vote of confidence to Matt Patricia and also Bob Quinn. So their jobs are on the line next season. I just don't see them drafting a quarterback and stashing it and wasting that top five selection on a guy they're probably not going to even be there to groom. So auction off the pick, you still can trade back with Miami at five, the Chargers at six. 
and still get a Derrick Brown or a Jeffrey Okuda and have those extra picks in the future as well. And I'll give you a bold take on Jeffrey Okuda to the Lions. Jeffrey Okuda is the best cornerback out of scouts since Patrick Peterson, and that's including Jalen Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore, Jair Alexander, and those boys. Jeffrey Okuda wow. has special traits. When I mean, you talk about his speed, his length, his physicality, and then he showed the ball skills this year. He's a complete package. I don't think there's one flaw you can point to and say, that's why he's not going to succeed at the next level. Then you look at his athletic upside, it's through the roof. I'm a big fan of Akuda. I like this fit here for the Lions. Now let's move on to the fourth overall selection, the New York football Giants, led by new head coach, uh, the, the new coach, I tell you, Jedrick Wills, number four overall to, you know, offensive tackle from Alabama. This is a guy that, you know, road grader. Dave Gettleman wants to build this offensive line, this trench player uh, offense and defense. You know, you can. Uh, it would be funny if took Derek Brown here because of all the defense tackles he's drafted in, in the past, with Dexter Lawrence, <laughs> Vernon Butler, and those boys. But Jedrick Wills, man, I got to tell you, absolute road grader up front. I know a lot of people have linked Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs here, but it's really it's going to come down to you know your flavor, your preference of what offense tackle you like. And I think Jedrick Wills fits exactly Dave Gettleman's mo. Talk about physicality. Talk about nasty. That's Jedrick Wills in a nutshell, man. Just your overall thoughts on Wills to the Giants. And just, you know, what do you think about this fit? I love it. And it makes a lot of sense. And he's not going to have to switch positions. I think that's a very key, uh, a very key thing with his with his selection here, just because they have Nate Solder at left tackle, even though he has struggled. Uh, they do have an open spot at that right tackle spot because Mike Rimmers is going to be a free agent going into this year. And he's probably not going to be coming back, even though he did show some signs of promise after coming over from a down year with the Vikings. So they have a massive need for a right tackle. And then they're still trying to rebuild that offensive line in general. And you talk about a guy that can completely change the culture of a group up front. I think that's what Jedrick Wills does bring to the table. And then if you just think about some of the offensive linemen that uh, Dave Gettleman has drafted in the past, and a guy like Taylor Moten definitely comes to mind. And that's something that Wills definitely exemplifies as far as the traits that he brings to the table. And like you mentioned, a role grader, a guy that just gets the job done. But he's also a fluid pass protector as well. He has the ability to match and mirror some of the defenders that he does face. Always patient and remains poised in his approach. And that's something that I love about Wills coming out of Alabama. Had a big sophomore year, and then he just exploded onto the scene and stamped everything that we saw that year and carried it over into his junior season at Alabama. So he's definitely going to end up probably being the first offensive tackle taken. And I think him going to the Giants at four, I definitely think that would be a great pick. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting headlines this draft is going to be how the offensive tackles are stacked up. Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs, uh, you talk about Jedrick Wills, maybe even Mekhi Becton sliding in there as well. So you're going to have a lot of, I think, parity among these tackles across the NFL. Now moving to the fifth overall spot is might be the most fascinating team here. And I think that's the Miami Dolphins. And they have three draft picks in the first round. This is a team that could move up the board, that could move down the board. They have a lot of capital to maneuver here. Uh, I went with Tua Tagovailoa, and that's because I think they need a player who can kind of just shift the brand, the identity of what the Miami Dolphins are going into the next decade. And to do that, they need to take a franchise quarterback, and this is the guy that they've been looking at all year long. Uh, even if they're number one, you know, as they were predicted to be before the season, Tua was linked to them all year. So I think this is a guy that, you know, if he's there, if his medicals check out, this is a home run pick for the Dolphins and a slam dunk. What are your thoughts? I think this is the biggest offseason in franchise history for the Dolphins just because you have 14 draft picks, you have close to $130 million in cap space, 
And I think of any position that you get this offseason, of course, quarterback is the most important. We'll see how they do address that situation. But we've been hearing the or we've been seeing and hearing the tank tank for Tua mantra. And it seems like it kind of was out of reach once the Dolphins started to win games this year. But how great is it for them? You beat New England. Also, you don't you get rid of the stigma that you are tanking and then you're still in range to get the guy you always wanted. So the Dolphins are still going to be able to get an embarrassment of riches, still getting to a tag of Aloha here. And it's time for Chris Greer and Brian Flores to get that guy that they want to stamp their tenure with. And this is the perfect guy for their regime and everything that they exemplify. Right. And so I think that just this is the pick, you know, team fit pick that just makes the most sense to me. You know, Tua to the Dolphins. Going to the next decade, you need to, you know, just build some excitement with your fan base, build some hope. Tua is that guy. And a similar, you know, situation for the L.A. Chargers, you know, they're going to need a quarterback going into this offseason. For the first time in, gosh, the Phillip Rivers era, it seems like they're legitimately looking at quarterbacks this year. And as a result, I give them Justin Herbert from Oregon. What are your thoughts on that? Herbert is a really interesting case, and there's going to be teams that have him as their quarterback one, maybe even two, or even down like the fourth or fifth guy, just because I think something that a lot of people cannot mistake for Herbert is that you can't get him mixed up with the player and then get that interchange with him as the person off the field, if that does make sense. And then, of course, you want to use every puzzle piece possible when evaluating these guys, but just talk about strictly an on-the-player standpoint. We're still waiting for him to take that next step in his development, and he did it down the backstretch. I love what he showed in the Pac-12 championship game against Utah, and then he also had a very good game in the bowl game as well against Wisconsin. So he started to show some of those traits that we always wanted to see early on in the year, but you talk, we've already talked about the USC game, how good he looked in that. So He's been able to put bits and pieces together of what we wanted to see, but it's just a matter of him bundling it all together and having that type of consistency. So we'll see what the team does do with Phillip Rivers, but I just love him being in the shadow of Phillip Rivers and then taking over as the heir apparent for him. But it's just a matter of Justin Herbert getting all of that together and being able to show all of it for once. And I think that's something that's really going to help him eventually end up becoming a top 10 pick. And without question, he's one of the guys that I'm looking forward to the most down at the Senior Bowl. And let me ask you this, because this is going to be the biggest, you know, headline with the Chargers offseason this year. With picking number six, I mean, the Chargers, you know, rarely in this spot to pick a quarterback in a loaded quarterback class. Do, do they need to come out of this first round with a quarterback? Yeah, I think so. You have to just because Rivers look like a shell of himself this year, man. He just did not look the same. And I'm a fan of the Chargers. They just lose so they've out of any team in the league, they've had probably the worst injury oh, look. Yeah. And they lose so many close games. I think they lost like six games this year by three points or less or something like that. It's always crazy, but you just look at that roster, man. They have talent on both sides of the ball. And we know what they have on offense. Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry. Uh, we'll see what they do with Melvin Gordon. But they still have some reliable backs in the backfield. Austin Eckler is one that they like a lot. So they have a bunch of offensive pieces already. Now they do need to reshape or retool their offensive front. They do have some struggles up there. But as far as the offensive pieces that they do have, and then on defense, they're absolutely loaded. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Derwin James, Denzel Perryman, the list goes on and on to some of the guys that they do have on defense. So this is a roster that's ready to win right now. But you sign Rivers maybe for one more year, and you have one last hurrah with him, and you say maybe this is it, let him ride off into the sunset, and then you have Justin Herbert waiting into the wings. 
waiting in the wings of him. So I think that's an ideal situation for them going forward. Yep, you mentioned it. This roster's loaded, and I just don't see this team getting back to the top five, six range with this current roster. I mean, oh, could, no could way. you see? I mean, no th- there's a possibility to where the Chargers make the playoffs next year with Phil Rivers. Yeah. I mean, this team could easily turn around and become a playoff team. I don't think anyone's putting that past the Chargers here. Good coach, Anthony Lynn. They have a great defense. Derwin James coming back next year. So it, it, this is your opportunity to strike on the successor for Phil Rivers is you're not going to be in this range again. So I think this is the perfect pick for the Chargers. Herbert can sit behind Rivers, learn, and then you know play when he's ready. It's the perfect scenario for Herbert. It's the perfect scenario for the Chargers. With that being said, moving down to the seventh overall selection. This is, you know, a, di- a lot of different areas the Carolina Panthers can go here because Cam Newton, uncertain about his future. Talking about offensive line has always been a problem under Cam Newton. Uh, and then you talk about, you know, interior defensive linemen. You've got some contracts expiring over there and you need some pass rush help. Uh, but I went with offensive linemen. I think Matt Rule is going to stick it out with Cam Newton. And I think he's the top priority is going to be protecting him. And I went with Andrew Thomas from Georgia. I think he's as reliable as it gets. I think he's probably the safest bet of all the offense tackles of this class. What are your thoughts on that? Love it. And the left tackle spot for the Panthers was really a game of mu- musical chairs this year. They went from Darrell Williams to Greg Little to Dennis Daly. And all, neither of those guys really showed the consistency that they wanted to see out of the position. And then with Matt Rule, he's really a ground-and-pound type of offensive guy. He liked to run the quarterback a bit uh, as well, too. So I think Cam Newton is definitely in an ideal situation now. They haven't came out and said that they fully support or endorse Cam as the quarterback for next year. But I think it would be very wise for them to welcome him back just because they don't really have any other answer on the roster right now. And I know they're in the seventh spot, so maybe they could trade up and package some picks to get a tour tag by low or even a Justin Herbert in a sense. But I think they need to continue to build from the inside out and getting a guy like Andrew Thomas is really going to help them, especially if they do want to go with Cam Newton going forward. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, I think Matt Rule wants to win now. And I think this Panthers team... I think his Panthers team can win now, and Cam Newton is the perfect kind of player for Matt Rule's offense. And I think this would be just a wise decision to, you know, go with Cam Newton and invest in the offensive line this draft. Spend this draft to fix your offensive line. It's never been right with Cam Newton under center, and it's a big reason why he's been always hurt, you know, throughout, throughout his career in Carolina. So I think drafting Andrew Thomas makes a lot of sense there. Um, number eight, uh, I got a lot of, you know, Mixed emotions with this pick because the Arizona Cardinals, as we know, you know, one of the worst offensive lines in football. That's just the bottom line. You know, Kyler Murray harassed all season. This team needs protection for Kyler Murray. But that guy from Oklahoma, his friend, CeeDee Lamb, sitting over there, killed Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. It might be too much to pass up. I gave him C.D. Lamb here at number eight. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and this is something that we're going to see pegged a lot throughout mock draft season and even all the way leading up to April is that C.D. Lamb's fit with the Arizona Cardinals is so great, man. You talk about he already has scheme familiarity uh, with that air raid system and then his previous days with Kyler Murray. So they already have that chemistry down. And then what are the Cardinals in need of the most? 
of course, offensive line. They need defensive help, of course. But on the offensive side of the ball, they need that alpha guy, that number one wide receiver to fill the shoes of Larry Fitzgerald just because we know whether it's next season or even 2021, eventually he's going to hang his cleats up. And they only have guys like Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella, Akeem Butler, Keyshawn Johnson. So they have a bunch of number two and number three guys, but they don't have that dominant number one guy behind Larry Fitzgerald. And I think once Larry Fitzgerald does decide to hang it up, a guy like CeeDee Lamb could come in and be that number one guy that Kyler Murray does need. So I love the fit here with CeeDee Lamb going to the desert. Yeah, and I wrote in my last sentence here on the CeeDee Lamb pick, he looks like DeAndre Hopkins on tape, and if Murray's going to take the next step forward, he needs a primary weapon like Lamb. 100% agree with you, exactly what you said there. Um, Number nine, just moving around here, uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And as we mentioned, this could be a quarterback destination team if they get desperate enough and they want to trade the ninth pick and the 20th pick to move up and get one of those guys. But I went with interior defensive line here. And a big reason why is because Marcel Darius, when he was ruled out, ruled out for the rest of the season with an injury, the Jaguars' run defense was arguably the worst in the league. It absolutely yeah. tanked. I, this team was – it, it could not stop the run against the Titans, the Colts, those teams run heavy teams, Derrick Henry, Marlon Mack, great offensive lines for both those respective teams, and the Jaguars had no answer for that. Um, and, you know, Darius set to enter free agency, you know, a new regime coming in. Uh, man, I, I just don't see how you can go into next season saying we're going to keep that same quarter going. So I give him Derrick Brown. And a player like Derrick Brown's a tone setter, right? He's a guy that can change a culture and make a statement for your defense. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Derrick Brown, and I love that. It makes a statement to the Colts and the Titans saying, no longer can, can you run down our throats with Derrick Henry and Marlon Mack and Quentin Nelson and those boys. Uh, I think this is a, it's a strong statement by the Jaguars, and I love this pick between Derrick Brown and this Jacksonville team. What are your thoughts on that? So we talk a lot about teams and have an identity or a direction. And it's clear you see teams like the Ravens, they have a clear direction. The Vikings have a clear direction. Uh, the Packers, another team, just – They mold guys or they draft guys in the way that that fits their system or their culture. With the Jaguars, I don't really know what their identity or what their culture is going forward just because I think they have a lame duck coach going into next season, Doug Marone. I just don't know if he's going to survive next year just because they have so many questions at the quarterback spot. Gardner Minshew showed a lot of promise, but is he going to be the guy going forward or are they going to respect Nick Foles' contract and the albatross that it is to that roster. So I don't really see the direction that the Jaguars are going. And just talking to talking to some friends around the league of all the teams in the top 10, the Jaguars are really the hardest to peg right now. But I think, I think you're spot on with Derrick Brown. I think he could come in and give that team a certain type of identity. And if you think about when they had their glory days in 2017, it really started up the middle. They had really really good guys in the middle, Calais Campbell, Marcel Darius, and some of the other guys that they did have on the roster. And adding Derrick Brown into the mixture, he frees up everybody. That's the great thing about having such a dominating presence in the middle. He's able to take up those double teams and free some of those guys over the top, like Miles Jack, Telvin Smith, when he was there. And just some of the things I think Derrick Brown could do for that defense, I think it could help a lot. Yeah, and I think one of the most underrated things in terms of mock drafting and accuracy is looking at who plays in their division. Because you look at teams, teams draft based on what their division is like. And, you know, like I said, Indianapolis and Tennessee, two of the best running offenses in the league. The Jaguars, one of the worst run defenses in the league. I wonder what the Jaguars are going to do to help remedy that. 
So I, th- that's why I give him Derek Brown. And I'll go just recent history. The Washington Redskins, to stop Ezekiel Elliott in that big, you know, when the Cowboys had that big success in 2016 and all that, they drafted Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and Deron Payne. They were like, we're, we're not letting Zeke run over us again. <laughs> so uh, so and the NFL is, thinks that way. And I think if Derek Brown's there for the Jaguars and how bad their run defense is and with those contracts expiring – and the Colts and Titans only getting better and younger in the run game, I just can't see how the Jaguars would pass them up. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and speed things up here. Let's go 10 through 12. The Browns, Tristan Wurfs, Iowa, I think they need an offensive tackle. I think priority number one needs to be to protect Baker Mayfield. Um, 11, the Jets, again, Jerry Judy. Sort of almost the same reason for Kyler Murray. You know, the Jets in the offensive line, but, you know, for Sam Darnold to the next step, he needs that primary alpha weapon. I think Jerry Judy is exactly that. And number 12, the soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders, I gave them the ultimate chess piece in the draft, Isaiah Simmons. This is a team that almost drafted Devin White fourth overall last year is I know they want a leader and a centerpiece in the middle of their defense, and Isaiah Simmons can be that. He can be a safety. He can be a slot corner. He can be anybody you want. And, you know, and people are going to say, well, that's a, that's a negative. He's a tweener. I think it's the biggest positive in the draft because the NFL is moving towards positionless football on the defense side of the ball. And this guy played everything but defensive tackle, basically, at Clemson. So this is a guy that I love. I think he's a top-five player in this draft and would be an absolute steal at 12. So just your overall thoughts on Worst, Judy, and Simmons, if you have something. Yeah, so all three picks, that make a lot of sense. Just starting off with Worst, he's going to end up being my offensive tackle one. And I'll tell you what. So – He's not as strong as Wirfs, or he's not as strong as um, Andrew Thomas or even Wills, but I just love his upside. And he's not as polished or as finished of a product as both of those other guys are, but I love his athleticism, man. And that's what I'm all about, offensive tackle. I think you have to be able to move. And even though he doesn't have the strength or maybe the power that those other guys have, he has the versatility to play either side as well. So even though he hasn't declared yet, I'm a huge fan of Tristan Wirfs. I love what he brings to the table. He's going to end up being a top eight prospect for me overall, especially when my next big board comes out on Saturday. So really excited about him. I'm hoping he declares. But if he does go back to school, of course, Jedrick Wills is going to be my top offensive tackle. But just talking about his fit on Cleveland Browns, I think it's a no brainer. We know that, you know, Chris Hubbard and Greg Robinson, they just they were not the answer there in Cleveland. And just their tackle situation is in shambles. And it wouldn't surprise me if they double up on offensive tackle in this draft. I think Cleveland would be wise to do that just because they need so much help out on the perimeter. And then you invest the number one overall pick. And Baker Mayfield, you have to find a way to protect him. So offensive tackle was a no-brainer for them. Uh, The next pick, I believe, was Jerry Judy to the Jets. Another pick that's a no-brainer for them just because their entire offseason should be around protecting and finding weapons for Sam Darnold just because the offense was not good at all. And I know they won four of their last six games and or six of their last eight games, I should say. So there's some there's some some hope leading into next year. But the offensive line is probably going to have three new starters next year. Robbie Anderson, we'll see what they do end up doing with him. He's probably going to want Devontae Parker like money, even though he hasn't had a 1000 yard season yet so far. So we'll see if Joe Douglas is willing to shell out that type of money to him. But regardless, either way, I think they still need to take a receiver within the first two days of this draft. So Jerry Judy does make a lot of sense for them at 11. 
And then Isaiah Simmons, one of my favorite players in this draft. And even though the Raiders don't really value linebackers that highly, I think it's going to be a bit different this offseason with Mike Mayock now in his second full draft there. Uh, Paul Gunther still in charge there. So we'll see if they do have a plan for Isaiah Simmons. But we know Mike Mayock. He does love, he does love Clemson guys. We saw that last year uh, taking, I believe it was three Clemson guys and uh, Cleveland Farrell, Hunter Renfro, and Trayvon Mullen. So he wants to create a bit of a pipeline there with Clemson. And it wouldn't surprise me if he does continue with taking Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, so just going right back into it, we'll go rapid fire again here. 14 overall, Buccaneers. I want Javon Kinlaw. Uh, this is a guy, you know, Indomitian Sioux, expiring contract. But I think if this team was drafting a little bit higher, they'd be considering a quarterback. But they're in no man's land at 14 overall. And I think they're going to be in a best available situation. I think Javon Kinlaw is right in that mix as one of the best available players left on the board. And they need interior defensive line help over there. Uh, I think this makes too much sense for them. So I'll go 14, Kinlaw to the Bucks. 15, Denver Broncos. We talk about this fit a lot. Henry Ruggs. Drew Locke is elite arm strength. This is a guy that, you know, likes to push the ball vertically. Henry Ruggs is a guy that can stretch the field, of course. 4-2 speed. Fastest player in the draft. I think this fit makes too much sense. If the, if the priority is to invest in Drew Locke and to, you know, bolster his development, giving him a player like Henry Ruggs can really unlock that offense's potential. And then the 16th overall pick, A.J. Epineza to the Atlanta Falcons. You talk about the steal of the draft. A.J. Epineza is a guy who just whoops your butt at the line of scrimmage, man. This guy is not Chase Young. He's not your Gross Matos. He's not going to be super fluid or bendy off the edge. But, man, this guy just kicks you at the point of attack. I mean, this guy is just a powerful son of a gun. Um, I think he has all the traits and production you could want a premier pass rusher. Very similar to Cameron Jordan, as you've made that comparison in recent weeks. Uh, I'm a big fan of A.J. Epinesa to the Falcons. But, yeah, the, those three picks, I want to get your thoughts on those. Javon Kinlaw to the Bucks, Henry Ruggs to the Broncos, and A.J. Epinesa to the Falcons. Yeah, so just starting off with Kinlaw with the Bucks, I really like that pairing here with Vita Vea along the interior, a player that's really coming along nicely since taking him in the draft uh, first round a couple years ago. I think those two would really feed off each other really well in Ty Bowles' defense. And you talk about a match made in heaven for creating havoc in the middle of his defense. I think Vea and Kinlaw would feed off of each other really well. And we know Indominus Sue probably isn't the long-term answer there. We know teams really only like to date uh, Indominus Sue as opposed to marrying Kim. Him con uh, constantly signing these one-year deals, which is probably going to be the outlook of his career going forward. But they invest a long-term piece and Javon Kinlaw, so I like the fit there. Henry Ruggs at 15 to the Denver Broncos. I think this is another fit that makes a lot of sense just because they have a guy in Cortland Sutton that really is that big go-to number one wide receiver. But now you want your field stretcher, a guy who can dominate over the top, and Henry Ruggs. I love everything about Henry Ruggs. I love everything that he brings to the table as well. And then A.J. Epinesa to the Falcons at 16. We know the Falcons need some pass rush. They thought they were getting that with Vic Beasley and uh, to Cars McKinley, but neither one of those guys have really panned out to date, even though Tack has showed much more promise than what Vic Beasley has ever shown in his career after having, I would say, a subpar first two years, but he's just his career has dwindled since those points. So pairing McKinley with AJ Epinesa, I think that would definitely be a nice a duo going into the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on all those points there. And so the big reason why I match those players to those spots. You know, you look at team needs, you look at statistics from the past season, and they just all match up, I think. Epineza to the Falcons, man, what a value pick that would be. Uh, you know, and you do the, when you do mock drafts, it's like a science, right? You try to pick 
okay, this player's going to go here. But you go, you go down the board, you're like, okay, Epineza should be a top 10 pick. But the more you go down the board, it's like, man, Epineza's falling. Right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's too talented to fall this far. But, you know, with co- four quarterbacks possibly going top, you know, 13 picks, it's possible for a player of that kind of caliber to fall to a team like the Falcons. So great pick there. Uh, I'm going to go again rapid fire here. 17 to Dallas Cowboys. Uh, again, the safety they've been looking for, a playmaker in the back end that they haven't had since arguably Darren Woodson. And that's Grant Delpit, safety from LSU. He's the best playmaking safety in this draft. Arguably the best, you know, most dangerous ball hawk of any defensive back in this draft. Uh, I'm a big fan of that fit. I think this is what the Cowboys need. They need more playmakers. They were last in the league in interceptions this year. So this is a team that needs playmakers in the back end. Um, the Dolphins, this is a team that needs corners. And with Xavier and Howard, you know, recent legal trouble has his future even in doubt with the team. So this is a team that needs cornerback help right away with Xavier and Howard or without him. And Christian Fulton is a guy that is ready for snaps right away. He has a lot of athletic upside. So I like that fit both for now and long-term for the, for the Dolphins in terms of the roster construction. And then the last one of this trio is the Las Vegas Raiders. And if they truly believe Derek Carr is the answer, they need to give him an alpha weapon. And LaVisca Chenault just fits that mold. He, you know, he's a little raw and unrefined route running-wise, but you look at the physical traits, simply unparalleled in this class. In terms of the eye test, this guy passes with flying colors. I think Chenault can be an explosive presence in this Raiders offense that sorely needs that dynamic wide receiver. Yeah, and I'm with you. I love all of those selections, especially the Chenault one to the Raiders. I think that's a team that really needs a number one go-to guy, and they just haven't had that for Derek Carr in the past few years. But he is a bit raw. That's something that you do notice about Chenault. And I think he's going to need a little bit of help as far as manufacturing touches and getting things in the open field for him and just allowing his playmaking abilities to take over. That's something that he, that really comes naturally to him. But it's just a matter of you getting the ball in his hands as quickly as possible. And I think that's something that, that John Gruden does a really good job of scheming up. So I like Chenault's fit in Oakland, but I love Christian Fulton's fit with the Dolphins. I think that's another fit that, that goes really well as far as fitting exactly what Brian Flores wants to do and what he wants to incorporate in his scheme. You have to have really good corners in that scheme just because that frees up everybody else in the system. They have a really good one already in Xavier Howard, but we know the legal issues that has happened with him this offseason already. So they probably will be in the market, whether that's through uh, via free agency or even the draft for a corner. And I love what Fulton brings to the table. Another player that I'm going to have a very close eye on down at the senior ball, just seeing how he competes, how fluid he is, and just how big he is. And on the Cowboys pick, I'll throw another name to you. And it may seem off the wall, but Jeff Gladney from TCU. Remember that name at 17 overall. And I know a lot of people are mocking him in the second and third round. But after he runs 4-3 at the Combine, his stock is going to skyrocket, very similar to how Byron Jones and William Jackson's stock skyrocketed after the Combine. Before the Combine, both of those guys were day two guys. After the Combine, they are firm first-round selections. I think the same thing is going to happen to Jeff Gladney. And no team in the NFL is going to do more homework on Jeff Gladney than the Dallas Cowboys. Why? This team needs cornerbacks. It's the, most, it's the primary need for this roster. And number two, he's a local kid from TCU. He'll be a Dallas Day visit. And he'll be a pre-draft visit. And this, uh, this coaching staff and this front office, that's the kind of mold this cornerback is and what they look for on the boundary. Jeff Gladney, remember that name, 17 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. And then I'm going to go rapid fire again here. 
know, I, so I'm with 20 overall Jacksonville Jaguars. Talked about it earlier. They need players to set a tone. Worst run defense in the league when Marcel Darius went out uh, for the season. Kenneth Murray. This is a guy, you know, they need a middle centerpiece of that, you know, on the interior of their defense. Telvin Smith's gone. Miles Jack's not the same kind of player. This team lost a lot of those key pieces that were on that great Jacksonville defense a couple of years ago. Kenneth Murray is a culture changer. He's a tone center. This guy's a lot of upside. And I think this team is going to be willing to play through some of the, you know, early growing pains Kenneth Murray's going to have early in his career. This team's rebuilding. Kenneth Murray would be perfect for a rebuilding team that wants to change the culture. 21, Trayvon Diggs to the Eagles. This Eagles team needs cornerbacks similar to the Cowboys. This Eagles team was so susceptible to giving up the big play. And Trayvon Diggs is one of the best playmaking DBs in this entire draft. Love his length, love his speed, love his ball skills. 22, gave the Bills T. Higgins. The Buffalo Bills, we watched in the wild card round last weekend. More than anything, this Bills team needs to surround Josh Allen with viable playmakers. John Brown and Cole Beasler are fine players for what they do but their skill sets are fairly one-dimensional. John, John Brown's a speed guy. Cole Beasley's strictly an underneath guy. T. Higgins can be both, and he can be a red zone threat. He can be a big play threat. I love the potential of T. Higgins with the Bills. Uh, and then 23, gave the Patriots Terrell Lewis. If there's not a more Bill Belichick player in this draft than Terrell Lewis, show me the player. This guy has the type of mindset. He has the production. He has the character. I'm a big fan of Terrell Lewis. And then when you add all those intangibles and the fact that he went to Alabama and that Nick Saban connection, it makes too much sense for Terrell Lewis to go to the Patriots considering their need at pass rusher and what he brings to the table. And the last one I want to talk about in this, you know, quintuple of picks here is Jalen Rager to the Saints. And this may seem like a luxury pick because the Saints have a potent passing attack. They had, you know, Michael Thomas, who's arguably the best wide receiver in football. But there's one element missing in this offense. It's a downfield presence and a vertical threat. Michael Thomas works the short to intermediate game better than any receiver I've seen in arguably the last two decades. But you're looking at a guy that isn't really much of a vertical threat as much as other players at the top of his position. And that's the aspect of the Saints offense that's really missing. Ted Ginn's not consistent. Traquan Smith's not that kind of guy. And I think Jalen Rager would open up this offense, you know, give it a new element. I know you can go quarterback here, but if you want to win, you want to win one more Super Bowl under Drew Brees area, you have that bad taste in your mouth, losing to the Vikings. I think Jalen Rager is the perfect way to go. So any of those picks stand out to you in any analysis on, you know, Kenneth Murray, the Jaguars, Diggs, the Eagles, Higgins, to the Bills, Lewis, the Patriots, or Rager to the Saints. Yeah, I think my favorite of the bunch is most definitely Higgins to the Bills, just because I think you're spot on as far as what you said about them needing that top dog uh, and that number one wide receiver just because they have a bunch of number two and number three guys. And they don't have – if you need a play to be made, they just don't have that guy that you can go to and be counted on reliably, and I think that's what T. Higgins can bring to the table. And then we talk about a guy like Josh Allen that loves to just heave the ball up no matter the moment in time of the game. They need that big guy that can go up and get it, and we know he's not the most accurate guy in the world either. So getting an inaccuracy eraser like T. Higgins and his skill set that he can bring to the table, I think that's a match made in heaven for the Bills. Absolutely. And, you know, we're going to go right down the board here again. Next four picks, 25th overall, Tennessee Titans. Gave them Yator Gross Mottos. And this may seem a little low for him, so I think his traits will get him drafted a little more high, a little higher than this. 
But the Titans, you know, this is a team that needs another explosive edge rusher opposite Harold Landry. This team, I think, has a better roster than a lot of people give them credit for. A lot of good, young, talented pieces. And gross models across Landry would be an excellent pass rush duo for that team going forward. Um, 26, gave your Minnesota Vikings Paulson Adebo from Stanford. I know you're not as high on Adebo, but I think this is a guy that fits Mike Zimmer and what he does well. This guy is a ball-hawking cornerback. And if you know Mike Zimmer, he loves young cornerbacks to develop. And I know he's a little bit raw, but that's kind of Mike Zimmer's MO. He likes to develop those kind of raw but talented guys. And to me, Adebo has, you know, just so much upside. And I think if there's a if there's a coach that can really get the best out of him, it is Mike Zimmer. Um, the 27th overall pick gave the Miami Dolphins one of my favorite players in this draft. The record of worlds, Louisville offensive tackle, Mekhi Becton. My goodness, this guy just dominates players in the line of scrimmage. And the <laughs> Dolphins, man, th th this is a team that's going to need to protect Tua and its investment. If it drafts Tua, if the Dolphins draft Tua fifth overall, they're going to draft an offensive tackle in the first round. I don't know if it's going to be at 18. I don't know if it's going to be at 27. But expect one of those names to come off the board at either of those next spots. Uh, getting a left tackle to really protect their investment of the future is an absolute must. I think Makai Beckton is the best one left on the board here after that top echelon of the three offensive tackles. Um, and then the last one of this group is 20th overall, the Seattle Seahawks. Gave them Julian Aquara, Notre Dame edge rusher. Um, it, it, there may not be an edge defender this class, really, that fits the Seattle Seahawks mold than Julian Aquara. Look at his size, his strength. He reportedly runs a 4-5, 4-6 in the 40. Doesn't play that fast, but in terms of linear athleticism, he definitely has it. Um, but, you know, Jadavian Clowney, his future is uncertain in Seattle. So if he's not brought back, you can be sure pass rushers is going to be the top priority for that team in the offseason. I think Aquara exactly fits that front office's M.O. So, you know, among those four picks, your turbos models to the Titans, Paulson Adebo to your Vikings, Makai Becton to the Dolphins, and Julian Aquara to the Seahawks. Which one fascinates you the most of that group? So I just want to say Trey Smith messed up our dream left side pairing oh, of Makai Becton. I know. And him in Miami. But <laughs> I think he made a good decision with going back to school just because he wanted to prove that he had a clean bill of health and everything like that. So uh, just staying on subject, my favorite pick of the bunch definitely is Makai Becton going to the Dolphins just because of any offensive tackle in this draft that's going to be poorly labeled, in my opinion, by the general public is going to be Becton just because they're going to look at his size on paper and think that he's a slug at 6'7", 360 pounds, but he is very athletic. And I know he has some work to do as far as a pass protector and just having some consistency in that area. But as far as a people mover at, in the run game and generating movement, I think he definitely brings to the table brings that to the table. And Trent Brown has been a common comparison that I have made for him. I think he's much more athletic and he's much more focused than what Trent Brown has ever showed uh, during his career. And I think he has that type of upside. And that's exactly what Miami needs just because um, outside the tackles that they do have on the roster, they need supremely help at all five positions up front, in my position or in my opinion, I should say. And you talk about them taking two attack of Iloa at five, and we know he's not the most durable guy in the world, so you have to build a wall in front of him, and that's exactly what Makai Be Beckton does bring to the table. And I think without question, he, he would be your day one starting left tackle. In this scenario, it plays out great for the Dolphins because guess what? No running backs have gone off the board yet. Right. So with one of their first picks in the second round, they have their pick of the litter, man, and they can get one of those guys, you know, 
to lead that running attack with Becton leading the way. I mean, he will sure lead the way with his big mitts, man. This guy is a, just a dominant run blocker. And I love that, you know, getting your quarterback in your left tackle, getting your running back. Let's go change this offense. But speaking of running backs, the J.K. Dobbins dream's over because he's heading to Kansas City and Andy Reid. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to tell you, ever since Kareem Hunt left that Chiefs offense, that the running game just hasn't been the same. This offense hasn't been as volume. This team, this offense just hasn't been as explosive without Kareem Hunt in that lineup. Clearly, that guy was an all-pro kind of player. But now you need to really replace that production. J.K. Dobbins, to me, it could be the top running back on most draft boards. Uh, to me, I think he just reminds me a ton of prime Ray Rice with the Baltimore Ravens. If that's what he can be, I think he's absolutely worth the first-round pick here. Uh, I think he's the most reliable passing down back in this class, whether that's catching the football or pass protecting. This guy's going to be able to play in all three downs. It's a big reason why he never came off the field for Ohio State. Built low to the ground, best contact balance, best contact balance of any player, of any running back in this class. Big fan of Dobbins. I know you are too. Uh, I think he's going to be the top running back for most teams' boards. Great fit with Andy Reid there. 30th overall, get the Green Bay Packers' Brandon IU from Arizona State. He's one of the most, I guess, quiet, under-the-radar players in this class. Uh, he doesn't get a lot of publicity because he played in the Pac-12. Not a lot of people watched him because he played late at night. But, man, this guy's a speed demon. He's a, I mean, this guy he catches the ball. If, if you miss a tackle on him, he's gone to the races. And that's what the Packers need. The Packers need a downfield presence. Devontae Adams, great short to intermediate guy. Guy who can win with his strength at the catch point. But this Packers offense needs downfield explosive threats. Aaron Rodgers' yards per attempt was really low this year. This is a team that needs to really capitalize on Aaron Rodgers' minimizing window. And I really believe Ayuk, along with Devontae Adams, can give Aaron Rodgers one last push to really have an MVP kind of caliber season. Uh, and then 31, San Francisco 49ers, they have Xavier McKinney. And, uh, you know, the 49ers need interior offensive line help, but as we know, Trey Smith going back, uh, you know, reports of Creed Humphrey leaning going back. So the interior offensive line class is a little more shallow than we initially thought. So maybe that might be a reach here. So I went with safety, Xavier McKinney. Jimmy Ward's about to be a free agent, and this is a team that doesn't have many holes, but safety's one of them. I think Xavier McKinney is basically Jimmy Ward plus. He can play man coverage in the slot. He can play deep safety. He can play in the box. He's just a little, he has a little more upside than Ward as a playmaker. I love that fit with McKinney and that talent in San Francisco defensive back uh, secondary. Um, and the last pick of the first round is a guy I'm not as high on, but I think some teams in the NFL will be. And that's Curtis Weaver, the edge rusher from Boise State. And the reason why I say this is because a team like the Baltimore Ravens, this is a team that has consistently valued production at the edge rusher position. And you talk about this is the team that drafted Jalen Ferguson last year from Louisiana Tech. And I think Curtis Weaver, you know, he's not going to be a great athlete. He's not going to just wow you with his traits on tape. But, man, there may not be a better pass rusher left on the board with a better resume than Boise State's Curtis Weaver, man. And it reminds me a little bit – is he reminding remind people a lot of how Jalen Ferguson's, I guess, yeah. path to the draft went. He's yeah. not going to be flashy, but his resume – is going to be the classic case – of traits versus the res versus the production on on paper, and I think Weaver. Some teams will like that, other teams won't. I don't, but I think the Ravens have shown and proven that they do. So, and this is also the team that drafted Orlando Brown, by the way, as well. So this is a team that values production as a whole over those you know athletic testing numbers 
the, the traits and all that. So this team values production and accolades and kind of that pedigree. And Weaver is that kind of guy. I think Weaver fits that Ravens front office MO. So of all those guys, Dobbins to the Chiefs, Ayuk to the Packers, McKinney to the 49ers, and then Weaver to the Ravens. Which one of those do you want to talk about here? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I am. I cannot wait to watch Brandon Ayuk in Mobile just because he does struggle a little bit as a route runner uh, on some outward breaking routes and then some vertical things. But on in breaking routes, he looks like a completely different player. And he really turns into that kick re- kick returner, I should say, when he does have the ball in his hands. I think that's where his best asset is as far as a yard after the catch type of threat. But a guy that I think can I think is his best football is ahead of him just because his story is really cool. He was in Juco for two years. Uh, it was behind Nikhil Harry in that number one wide receiver role, of course, uh, during his junior year. But his senior year, man, he just absolutely exploded. So, and we always talking about we always talk about how prospects you always want them on an upward trajectory entering the NFL draft, and that's exactly what Ayuk did show. And you talk about him going to an offense like Green Bay, where he has a number one guy opposite of him and Devontae Adams. He's playing with a really good quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. And then they have a well-diverse route tree as far as what they allow their receivers to run. And then you know Matt LaFleur is going to cater to his skill set. So I love his fit in Green Bay. Yeah, and there's going to be family warfare in the Tulsa draft world when we get to Mobile because Brandon Ayuk's going to line up against Jeff Gladney. My two pet cats are going to line up <laughs> against each other. One of, them's, one of them has to win. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but – I mean, I think my best case scenario for that is Brandon Ayuk beats him deep, but it's underthrown. Jeff Gladney gets an interception. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's my best case scenario. But uh, it's going to be really fun to watch that those matchups in Mobile. I think I think one of the things that's going to really surprise Brandon uh, people about in Mobile about Brandon Ayuk is that route running. I think he's going to be unguardable with his speed and his just fluidity, his, his movement. I, I just don't know how anyone's going to be able to guard him. You got you know you got a lot of big receivers over there. Denzel Mims, Chase Claypool, Gandy Golden, Brian Edwards, Colin Johnson, big, tall receivers who can't really separate. Ayuk's going to really throw these cornerbacks off guard with his speed and yeah. uh, ability to separate. So Great I think, point. That, yeah, I think there's going to be a, you know, a, there's going to be a bit of a learning curve when you go, go from Colin Johnson to Brandon Ayuk or Devin Duvernay with that speed. So I think a lot of these cornerbacks have, have to be prepared for that. And luckily for a guy like Jeff Gladney, who's gone up against like a Devin Duvernay, I think he's going to be ready for that as well. So very interesting to watch those matchups. But, man, th- that's it. That's my mock draft, dude. I got to tell you. And, it, uh, and it, it's fun to be on this side of the, you know, the coin here as opposed to be on the hot seat for once. You know, <laughs> I, I'm always the one who has to have the organic responses, but now I'm the one who can kind of have a script ready for me. Um, but, man, you know, what did you think about that, you know, this exercise, being the GM chair, just your overall thoughts on that. It's good stuff, man. I love having these instant type of reactions just because my drafts can be so repetitive and boring at times, but I think we do a good job of switching it up and not looking at each other's stuff uh, prior to doing this exercise just because you want to get those instant type of reactions, those breaking reactions, just because it makes the exercise much funner. And like I said, I did not look at Jonah's mock draft prior to this point, uh, prior to this recording, just for just just for this exact purpose, just because I like getting the instant reactions and also the wow moments uh, in between the selections as well. So it's really cool. And it's something that we're going to do down in Mobile as well. 
um, with the draft network. We're actually going to do our own live mock draft, and we're going to have certain people in the GM seat while others are actually drafting. So that's going to be a really cool experiment that we do have for you guys. So uh, once again, that is our that is our show for today. Uh, hopefully you guys do enjoy the weekend. We do have an eventful weekend with the playoffs uh, coming up. And then, of course, we have the national championship on Monday, which we will discuss on the Monday show. And then also we'll give you a preview of the Shrine Bowl as well, the East-West Shrine Bowl, which is going down next week in St. Pete, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. So really excited about that. We're going to have a jam-packed show for you guys on Monday. But once again, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star review. For Jonah Tolls, I am Jordan Reed. I am Jordan Reed as well. Uh, We are the Locked On College Football Podcast. We will see you guys on Monday.